Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Uh, one time I was a Christian education uh, pastor at this church for nine years. And uh, I became pastor, and now Susie Bates is our Christian education leader and director. And uh, we just thank the Lord for all the work that goes into our children and youth program and all you that help with that. We read this morning, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Well, I wonder what it would be like to uh, hear God's call to leave everything and just go. You know, we, we know these stories from the Bible so well, and uh, sometimes these characters and these people in the Bible, be so, I, I like to say, they kind of become kind of one-dimensional, you know. Uh, they're heroes of the faith who never struggled, never uh, were challenged, never had any questions. Um, and we think of what, what would it mean? What would it mean for you or for me, for God to come and tell you, just go. And I'll tell you when you get there, but I'm not going to tell you now when you're on the way. Maybe some of you have been at that place in your life. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles back up to Hebrews chapter 11, as we are considering the characters of great faith in the Bible, that this author, whoever it is in the book of Hebrews, writing to Hebrew Christians, it's called the book of Hebrews, that's the context, they are believers in Jesus Christ, who are from this Jewish context, that he's writing to them, and we've come to this 11th chapter, the story of faith, which is so important uh, in this journey. And today we're going, to take a, we're going to begin today and take a few weeks and talk about Abram and Abraham, and we're going to revisit this tonight because um, also the story of Abraham is not just a story for uh, Jewish believers. The Apostle Paul tells us is very clearly you and I, if we know Christ the Savior, are connected to Abraham. And he is our father as well. And we'll revisit that tonight. But let's look at Hebrews chapter 11 and let's pray. Fathers, we open your word. It's our prayer that your words will be heard. And Father, that just, just make our hearts sensitive to your word for a few moments. And open to you and to your leading, to your call, we pray the Holy Spirit will truly be in our midst um, as we, we just come before you humbly. We love you and we thank you. And uh, we just offer this time as, a continue, as we continue to worship you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 11 and verse 8. By faith. We're talking about faith. By faith. Abraham. When called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger, like a stranger in a foreign country. And he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Story of Abraham. And now we need to connect this with the Old Testament. The, the early uh, recipients of this epistle uh, were very familiar with this story. And a uh, very, very important part of their history. But let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. 
and the calling of Abram, as he is at that point in the story. Way back, we talked about Noah. Gary, Pastor Gary uh, shared last week when we talked about Noah and the faith that Noah exhibited. And the account of, of Abram, as you read in the genealogies in the Old Testament, um, you'll notice from uh, verses 10 to the end of chapter 11, we have these genealogies from Shem to Abram. And we really need to begin our story of Abram in chapter 11, even though you'll notice chapter 12, you may have something like my Bible has the call of Abram as the uh, caption for this part of Scripture. But in verse 27 of chapter 11, this is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahar's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Itzcah. Now, Sarah was barren, important part of the story. She had no children. Terah took his son, Abram, his grandson, Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of his son, Abram. And together they set out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there, and Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. So this is the story of these, uh, this family of Terah, who came from the area of the Persian Gulf area today, in the Ur of the Chaldeans, the area of Iraq, and that area today, and in Persia. And they, they came up, and they, and they came up north was called the Fertile Crescent, because if you look at a map, you'll see, of course, the green that runs along the Tigris-Euphrates River, up to north, up to Syria, Damascus, back down to Palestine, to Canaan, to Judea. In the in-between area, of course, on the other side of the Jordan River, was a pretty dry and desolate. It's called the Fertile Crescent. And Terah and his family left their home and traveled up north, and they came to this area of Haran, and there... They stayed until Terah died. Now, chapter 12 begins, the Lord, and you notice the Lord had said to Abram, and I want to suggest to you that because what we just read is part of the genealogy and the history of the families, we've, we've been given this, this total genealogy and history of, of this family, and it concluded with their stop in Haran. But I want to suggest to you that chapter 12, verse 1, really takes place before they get there, while they are still in the Ur of the Chaldeans. And while they are there, the Lord comes to Abram, and he says to him, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, obviously, his father is going with him. But you have to understand in the Hebrew that father's household and this terminology of the fathers often refers to multi-generations. For example, David and the son of David can refer to multiple generations. And so what we have here in chapter 12 is a call of God to Abram, leave. Leave this beautiful place. It was an oasis place. It was a wonderful place. Leave this place. 
And I want you to start traveling. And I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave your history. I want you to leave everything that you've known. I want you to leave your father's household, the generations that are so important to you. I want you to leave this place, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. He didn't say, I want, to, I want you to go to Canaan. Abram's never been there. There would be no reason for Abram to travel from, from the Persian Gulf to Palestine, to, to Canaan. There would be no purpose in that. He'd never done that. You just start going. And basically, I will tell you when you get there and you leave. You know, there's a lot about this story that we're missing. I would love to know, wouldn't you? What was Abram's relationship with God? Had God talked to him before? Were they like, like, like Adam and Noah? You know, were they walking with God and talking with God? What was the context? What about the rest of his family? You know, we're just not told. We, we, we approach Abram as, as an adult. He's got a family. And we don't know any of the context, any of the background, except God spoke and Abram obeyed. He did it. He just left. When we were looking at that clip earlier this morning, some, one of my friends mentioned, I've been there before. I recognize that story of going. Maybe some of you have been there. Maybe you some have taken those journeys where God has directed you somewhere and you really, maybe you had a destination, but you really weren't sure why God was taking you there. Um, as the choir was coming down this morning and you were following by me, and uh, Dave, I was thinking, you and Gretchen, when God called you um, at an age in life where most people are settling down in retirement, <laughs> to go to Africa, to go to Africa, and Uganda first, correct? To go to Uganda and work with, children with with Rafiki and and I mean talk about the unknown what what you know what were you thinking <laughs> you know <laughs> go to, go to be gone to work with children and then to Nigeria how many years total were you guys over there seven and a half years in Africa working with children and and I mean it's, it's part of the Abram story I, I, they, they were called to go and they went and now they're back here, but a part of their heart is still over there and always will be. Because God called. And, and, and many of you have been in this situation. Some of you young people are here this morning, and I don't know where God is going to call you. This is driving me crazy. I'm going to take my jack off, you don't mind. It's, uh, are you okay? Thank you. All right. <laughs> God's going to call you, and I don't know where God's going to call you. And it, it, might be, um, it might be a little scary. It might be unknown. You as adults, whatever. God, Abram, go. Just go. I'll tell you when you get there. And this was not an easy trip. This is, this is not an easy trip. This took a long time. And it took a long time to get there. And in chapter 12, in verse 1, in Genesis, where we have the story where God tells him to, to do this. Along with this, he gives him a promise. We call this the, part of the Abrahamic covenant. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Now look at this. I mean, think about this. And all the peoples on 
earth, on earth, on earth, will be blessed through you. Think of that. Hear this, this, this man from the Ur of the Chaldees, that God calls him and says, You're gonna, Abram, just go. I'll tell you when you get there. But I want you to know, here's my promise to you. I'm not giving you anything right now. I'm not even going to tell you where it is. But I just want you to know that ultimately, the end of this journey is that the entire earth is going to be blessed through you. And Abram left as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him in verse 4. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, all the servants and their whole Bedouin group, if you will, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And Abram traveled through the land as far as the side of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now look at this. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, you're here. This is it. And at this point, he's still traveling. Maybe God was going to send him down to Egypt. Maybe somewhere else. Maybe down in Africa. He doesn't, but he says, you're here now. Here you are. I want you to know you're here. And he says, Abram, to your offspring, I will give this land. You've traveled from the north down to the south. You've walked this land. And I want you to know this is it. This is where I was sending you. This is the promised land, if you will. And I am going to give this land to your descendants. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent. I want you to remember that phrase. He pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued south toward the Negev. Abram is in the land. He is in the land that God said, Abram, just go and I'll tell you when you get there. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless the entire world. And now that you're here, Abraham, stop and look around at this land. Your offspring get this land. This property is yours. The whole thing. The whole thing is yours. You know, as you read this, and we, we're not going to take time this morning to... to you know, we'd have to read through the entire next section of Scripture. If you, were, you know, if you just take your Bible and kind of flip the pages, um, or your tablet, whatever you have, and you kind of flip the pages, and you'll see headings. You'll notice in chapter 13 is the story of Abraham and his nephew Lot. When there's a disagreement among their servants, and it's not the land's not big enough for where they are, and there's a family disagreement, and there's quarreling. And in verse uh, eight, Abram says, Lot. Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or your, between your herdsmen and mine. We are brothers. They're uncle and nephew, but they're family. They're brothers. The whole land's before us. And Abraham, Abram gives Lot the choice. 
Lot is the nephew who should be subservient to Abram, but, but Abram in his humility and his trust in God says, Lot, look, here's the land before us. You choose where you want to go. You take your herds and your servants. You go that way. I'll go this way. We are family. We'll remain family, but this is not working. They're getting too big. We need separate properties for, for feeding and grazing. And, of course, Lot looks east. He looks down to the cities of the plain where Sodom and Gomorrah are, and it's so beautiful. He says, that's where I'm going. And he goes. And God comes to Abram once again. And he confirms in verse 14, Lift up your eyes from where you are. Look north. Look south. Look east where Lot just went. Look west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. These are big words. Forever. I will bless the entire earth. All those who bless you will be blessed. All those who curse you will be cursed. Your, your multitudes will be like the stars of the sky we're going to see. These are big words for this, this man from the Ur of Chaldees who's just following God where God takes him. And in verse 18, though, you'll notice, Abram moved his what? His tents and went to live under the great tree of Mamre, at Hebron. You turn the pages. You come to chapter 15. In verse 1, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. And Abram says, Lord, sovereign Lord, dear God, what can you give me since I remain childless? At the end of the phrase, you have given me no children, and a servant in my household will be my heir. You, you keep talking about the generations. You keep talking about the offspring. You keep talking about this multiple generations that are going to fill and inherit this land. But I don't have one. It's got to start with one. And God, I am... Past that age where we have children. This is not the era where people are living to be seven, eight, nine hundred years old. That ended with the flood. Noah and Sarah are not going to have any children from a human perspective. It is not going to happen. And he's not planning on it. And he says, Lord, look at you're going to give me a child, but my this this servant is, is the heir of my family right now because that's the way it's going to work when we die. And the Lord says, no, in verse 4, this man will not be your heir. A son is coming from your own body. He will be an heir. He took him outside. He said, look at the heavens. Count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. One of the most important verses in the entire Bible, according to the Apostle Paul, Abraham believed the Lord, and he, that is God, credited to him, as righteousness. You've been maybe, uh, we've been down in the desert in Arizona when our daughter lived down there and Greg, when they, you, know, you go places like that, especially in Tucson where they don't allow lights at night because of the observatory. And you look at the stars in the sky. And you know, it's an amazing thing. The more you look, what? The more you see. At least that's me anyway. You know, I look up there and I see the stars and I keep looking and all of a sudden there's more and more and more and more. And if you could be where Abram is here in the Middle East with no artificial lighting and to look out at night over the sky and to see those stars 
and to, and to see the sky fill with those stars. And God says, Abraham, that's the beginning of your descendants. You can't count them. But you have to have one. You know, the story of Abram and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. You know, if you stop and reflect on it, you think about it. It's an amazing story. Because you see, the author of Hebrews that, we, that Catherine read to us earlier, an author of Hebrews tells us, he tells us that Abraham and his future son, Isaac, and his future son, Jacob, and all of their families lived in tents. Think about that. Abram, for all these years, is in a land that belongs to him. God says, this is yours. I am going to give this to you. This is yours. Your descendants get this land. And yet you track the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the sons of Jacob, and you will find they never once build a house in that land. Now, this is a land where people live in homes. Yes, there are Bedouin. You know, we know what Bedouin are. When we were in Israel, we saw, we saw Bedouin. Bedouin are tribal people who live in tents and move with their herds and feed with their herds, much as the Native American uh, population did. They move and they move and they feed new grounds. They go up high. They come down low in, in the winter and they go up high in the summer. That's the, but, but that's not how most of the people lived. Remember when the Israelites came into the land of Canaan, what, what was the first place they, they came up against? What was the city's name? Jericho. And the thing was so mammoth, you could drive chariots abreast around the top of the city together, like the story of Ben-Hur, you know, like the chariot race. You could drive them around the city on top. There was, it was such a big city. There were walled cities. There were homes. There were orchards. These, this was an, an, a, 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 a place where people lived in homes and settled down. Yet Abraham and his family, the entire time they were there, were pilgrims and strangers in their own land. And they never once built a house. But it was his land. It was his land. You know, the only property that he ever actually purchased and built, it comes in Genesis chapter 23, it comes after the story of Abraham and Isaac, offering Isaac as a sacrifice. When we come toward the end of Abraham's story, and it says in verse 1, Abraham lived to be 127 years old, or Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Hebron in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went there to mourn and weep for her. And Abraham rose before, from beside his dead wife. And he spoke to the Hittites who lived in his land. God, this is Abram's land. God's given it to him. It's going to belong to his descendants. God already said that. And Abram says to them, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site that I can bury my dead. And so begins the negotiations. And of course, that of, you know, cultural... Abram, you take the land. You're a mighty prince. You're great. You take what you want. Abram says, no, 
I want to buy it from you. You have to sell it to me. In verse 8, if you are willing, let me bury my dead. Listen to me and intercede with Ephron, the son of Zohar, on my behalf. He will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him at the end of his field. Ask him and to sell it to me for the full price. And Ephron was sitting among his people and said to Abraham and all the Hebrews, No, my Lord, listen, I give you the field. I give you the cave. You know, they're negotiating. And Abraham says, no, I will pay the price in verse 13. I will buy it from you. Accept it. Verse 14, listen to me, my Lord. The land's worth 400 shekels. But what's that between me and you? <laughs> Bury your dead. It's okay. It's worth $400, but that's nothing. But that's what you're going to pay. And Abraham buys this piece of land. He builds. There's a tomb there. He puts his wife in. This becomes the only property that Abram owns in his own land is the tomb of the patriarchs which is there today in Hebron. Abram, a pilgrim in his own land. And go back to chapter 11 of Genesis. And go back, I mean, excuse me, chapter 11 of Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11. And Abram was called to a place that he would later receive and he went by faith. In verse 9, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. You know who the first patriarch that actually lived in a house was? You know who it was? Think about it. Who was the first patriarch that broke this cycle and lived in a nice house? Joseph. Joseph was the first patriarch. Jacob's son. Because he was taken down to Egypt and ended up in a house. A nice house, too. But it was in Egypt. The rest of them all lived in tents. Even when Isaac and his family came down to Egypt. By faith, Abram lived this Bedouin life. In verse 9, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country, and he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. Why did he do this? Why didn't he go back to Haran and then back down to the Ur of the Chaldees? Why did he live this way? He did this because he had faith in God that God was going to fulfill his word. And we see this in verse 10. Abram was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. What is that city? What is that city? It says here, he did this because he had a vision. He had a vision of a place that God would take him. And it was a place that God would build. It's architect. We have some architects here. And the builder, we have some builders here, would be God. He would design and build this city. And Abraham is looking forward to that. And thus he lives as a pilgrim his entire life in his own land. And so do his generations. What was that city? I want to suggest to you, as we'll see this as we move through this section of Hebrews, that he is talking about heaven. You know, in the Old Testament, we're not given as much revelation as we are in the New Testament about the resurrection. 
But there is clearly this understanding that this life is a pilgrimage. And I think this new city, in context of the rest of the New Testament, would have to be the new Jerusalem. I think that's what it is. He's looking forward. He, he, he sees the city that God has promised, a place that God is going to bring him eventually, and it will be his home. He was a pilgrim on this earth in his own home. By faith, verse 11, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah was barren, was unable to become a father because why? He considered him faithful who made the promise. And from this one man, and him as good as dead, all these generations would come from Abraham. I want you to notice this, this last section, verse 13. All these people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebekah, Rachel, all these patriarchs and matriarchs, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Abraham saw in the distance the fulfillment of this promise by God. How, how is it going to happen? How is the story going to unfold? Well, he got some hint of it in Genesis 15 when God tells him your generations will go down to a foreign land for 400 years. But somehow he sees this in the distance by faith and he welcomes it as if it's already taken place. And then he goes on to say, people who, see, who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they're looking for a better country, a heavenly one. And you know, this, this is the story of faith of Abram, Abraham, Sarai, to become Sarah. This is the story of their faith. They believed God's word. And when God promised them something, they took it at face value and they welcomed it, even though they knew they would not experience it in this life. And Abraham spent his entire life living as a stranger in his own backyard that God had promised him, and he did this by faith. This caused me to think of sort of the dilemma, if you will, that you and I face as believers in Jesus Christ. We face this tension that we are called to be a people who are pilgrims on this earth. We are called to be a people who live with their reality and their realistic expectation that we're not going to be here very long. That this is our temporary home. And we are called, these, these people are examples of faith. That these people who lived by faith, that they were looking forward to a better home, even while they lived in their own home here on earth. And you know, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy. As we come to the end of, of Paul's life, it appears to be the end of his life. As you come to 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, we get this lesson from the Apostles. I think if we could hear from all the apostles on their end stories, it would be similar. But in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, Paul says this. 
Verse 6, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Here is a man clearly who is at the end of his life. He's at the end of his pilgrimage. And he is looking forward to heaven. He's the same apostle who earlier in Corinthians has said, I'm caught in this, I'm caught in this struggle. I want to stay here and serve you, but I've had a taste of it. And, I, and to depart and be with Christ is so much better. And he's, he's, he's looking forward to this. He's preparing for his departure. He knows it's at hand. He knows that his pilgrimage on this earth is about to end. But then look what he says in verse 9 to Timothy. Timothy, do your best to come quickly. Then he talks about Demas. Verse 11, get Mark. Bring him with you. Why? He is helpful for me, what? In my ministry. Verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak I left at Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. It's going to take Timothy a while to get there. But, but, but Paul, as he's ready for the end of his life, says, 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 Timothy, get my books. Get my parchments. I got work to do. Get my coat. It's cold here. Get, get, get Mark and bring him. He's very helpful to me. Only Luke is with me. And here is this man who's at the end of his pilgrimage, and yet he's living his life as if he's going to be here forever. And that's the dilemma we face. The dilemma that you and I face is that God has called us to always remember that we are only here for a time and eternity is forever. But we are to live here and plan and serve and raise our children and love one another and invest in God's work as if we are going to be here forever. And that was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They become an example to all who come by faith because they were willing to live as pilgrims on this earth and hold it lightly and yet to live and to serve with the understanding this is your inheritance forever. And they walked and lived by faith. What does this look like for you? What does this look like for me today? What does this look like for my life? That this week, I am to live as if this is my last day. And I am to anticipate. And I am to live on that cutting edge, that cutting edge of expectation and hope that Jesus is coming back. Do you really believe that? Do you really, really believe that Jesus is coming back for us? And yet we are called like Paul to bring the parchments, to get our coats, to get ready for the next season, because every breath and every day that God gives us is a day to serve Him, to love Him, to live for Him, and to live our lives as an example of people who know what God has called us to 
and has given us. That's one of the great values of being part of a church family where we're not all old and we're not all young. Because being together like this is a reminder to us of the whole spectrum that God has called us to be a people who live by faith. And Abraham and Sarah both lived by faith. Well, I walk by faith this week. Do I really believe that God is coming soon in the person of Jesus Christ? Do I really believe that I am going to spend eternity with Him in heaven and to serve Him and worship Him? And what does that look like in my life Monday morning, in my neighborhood, at your place of work, at your school, in your family, how you treat your spouse and your children and your parents? What does this look like to be people who are pilgrims in our home who live by faith? Gary, come and lead us in our closing song. Appreciate the music you guys have shared this morning with us. This is a very, very important song. It's one that, uh, if we sing these songs, we should mean it. What might this mean for you? What might your life look like? What might my life look like this week if I really mean this song that we're going to sing together? What's the greatest compliment you've ever received in your life? What's the greatest compliment you ever received in your life? What would be the greatest compliment you could ever receive? It says this about Abraham. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, the patriarchs and the people we have studied from Hebrews 11. God is not ashamed to be called their God. He's proud. He's okay to go by their name, that they belong to me. I have a name. My family has a name. The worst thing that, that I would dishonor my name so that people would not want to be associated with my name. But God is not ashamed to be called their God. Father, we pray today. Lord, every one of us is going to face decisions this week, this day. We're going to face decisions of how to act, what to say, how to think, how to respond. And we will have choices to make as the Holy Spirit leads us. And will we make decisions that would honor your name? Or would we make decisions that would cause people to think, that's not the kind of God I want to serve? Lord, I pray that each one of us would begin with those closest to us, our own families, our own spouses, our parents, our children, our grandchildren, our cousins, our neighbors, our community, our church family, and then the world. But we must begin with the person closest to us and live in such a way that you are not ashamed to be called our Father. We will never be ashamed of you, God. Never. Because you are so great and so wonderful and so loving and have been so good to us. 
We leave this place and ask that you would help us to walk by faith as pilgrims on this earth who are here to serve you for every breath that we have. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen.